You're listening to Megiddo Radio. Megiddo Radio is a radio ministry of Megiddo Media. For more, visit our website at megiddoradio.com. That's megiddoradio.com. Welcome, everybody. This is Paul Flynn with Megiddo Radio for Tuesday, the 18th of January, 2022. Thank you all for tuning in. Apologies. A bit later than normal. Um, next week, probably going to move it forward to about half past six to start the program there. Uh, six o'clock isn't really a good time anymore. Hopefully, you're all doing well wherever you're listening to in the world. You can email the program during the program if you've got any questions. Megiddo Radio, that's M-E-G-I-D-D-O, films, or not, sorry, Megiddo Radio, M-E-G-I-D-D-O, radio at gmail.com, and uh, I will have that email address open in front of me, so if anybody emails me during the program, I will answer those questions. Um, so on today's program, we're going to be doing a bit more the on the catechism of the Westminster Larger Catechism, starting from question 80. We're just going to keep going from there. And I don't think there's a lot of things... It, it, it seems like there's not a lot of things going on in the news lately, uh, apart from you know, the, the, that topic I covered last week. And I kind of want to draw a line under that topic because I don't think it's healthy for the church, for individual Christians, etc. and so on, to spend all their time covering one issue. Um, we've got to, we've got to move forward. We've got to grow. We've got to mature. We've got to learn and we've got to depend on God. This program is going to be largely going to look at the glorious gospel, the glorious gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and uh, I'm just going to I'm going to begin a recording a a, a segment which I, I might put on YouTube. We'll see before I get into the main part of the program and um, where I'll be looking at the Westminster Larger Catechism, but um, so. In this section, I'm just going to talk briefly for a few minutes on um, the whole Babylon B interview with Elon Musk, and I'm not I'm not going to go through and look in depth at, at the interview. I think plenty of people have seen it by now. I, I think it's probably, and if you don't know anything about the Babylon B and you don't follow it, then you might want to skip forward a few minutes. You might even want to skip this video entirely, but. Um, the Babylon Bee, for those of you not aware, is a satirical website. They're professing Christians. And a lot of the time, a lot of the material, it makes me chuckle. I'll share it on, on Facebook or whatever. Um, sometimes, most of the time, not really. I, um, what I'm going to say, I, I hope doesn't come across as somebody who's coming from the point of view of I just don't get the sense of humor and all that. Uh, this is not the angle I'm coming at at all. Uh, for those of you who are not aware, uh, Elon Musk, who is a major 
innovator and what do you call him a futuristic thinker um and the tesla car is associated with him and he runs that uh, beyond the, I, I to be honest i hadn't heard of him probably up until maybe a year or two ago um in relation to a few things here and there but anyway elon musk was being interviewed by the babylon b i've only watched parts of it and these comments are really only for the end part of it where they were quote-unquote giving the gospel to Elon Musk, which has caused a degree of controversy. And a lot of people have been annoyed. Um, one video which was done by Justin Peters, Justin Peters, who um, is has been on this program before, and one of my f favorite interviews that I've done was with Justin Peters, very knowledgeable guy when it comes to uh, things to do with the charismatic movement and things like that. Uh, but he's also very knowledgeable on things as well. Um, and he was very concerned and deeply saddened by the, the way, the jovial way and the kind of, A way that didn't glorify God, shall we say. That the Babylon Bee were basically saying, will you just accept Jesus? It's one of those, Elon Musk clearly didn't get converted, and they made a big joke about the gospel. I suppose that's the short of it. And, th and that's what's so sad and disappointing about the whole thing. And Justin Peters was rightly, um, I believe, uh, annoyed about this. I think the whole thing about the Babylon Bee, though, I I'm not... And I, and I, I'm not really surprised. I'm saddened, but I can't say I'm surprised. The reason I'm not surprised is the any minute, and I want you to hear this. This is not about. There are times when I will find some one things, one or two things here and there, funny, and I and I'm yes for a sense of humor, yes for a laugh. I think you need that. I don't think people should be just onomatons and people who can't have a laugh every now and again or whatever the case may be. However, when you have a website or a ministry or a Christian organization, whatever you want to call it, dedicated to being what I would call a class clown, 24-7, that, that, that's your whole reason for existence, to be the jokester, you're going to cross the line eventually. And you're, you're always going to see this. If your reason for existence is to glorify God, first and foremost, okay, there will be times when you can share a joke, and you have to be wise about these things and all that as well. But their whole thing is about making people laugh. That is their main reason for being there, to mock the other side and all that. Much of it isn't wise, I'll be honest. Much of it's very funny. And there's some very humorous observations of the last two years. I remember one particular one where um, one person in one of the articles was to wear a seatbelt outside. Particularly, I remember that article. So... Obviously, this is satire. It's not real. Okay. The problem is the gospel is never, ever, ever to be joked about. 
It is holy ground. It is sacred ground. When we talk about God, we are never ever to speak jovially or make any joke to have anything to do with him or his saving work or anything else that we are to glorify him we are to tremble before him and we have we are to have you could say that same attitude that Moses had before God that the people of Israel had before God at the base of Mount Sinai fear and when everything your whole website is based on is juvenile humor. Again, I'm not saying I've never found anything they've ever put out funny. Yes, clearly some of it's funny. But when you're based on juvenile humor, by the way, there's plenty of Christian websites that are all based on either memes or just being what I would call a class clown. They will inevitably at some stage, cross the line because their whole reason for existence is to make people laugh. And this is where I, I feel that we, not against having a sense of humor, but we should be characterized not by our ability to make people laugh or to make people think we're hilarious and all that kind of thing, but we should have godly sobriety. Not in terms of not being drunk, but godly sobriety in terms of a good, godly Christian witness, especially anybody involved in the ministry. So sadly, this was, I always felt, and this is the way I feel that many of these websites will invariably always go. Because your whole fate, you're, you're, you're the wrong focus. The wrong focus. So, um, would very much agree with much what uh, Justin Peters said in reply to that, and you can find that yourself on YouTube. So that ends up section of the program. We're going to get on to our main section of the program, which will be looking at that glorious gospel, that wonderful gospel, which we are to exalt, which we are to make much of. So before we get into question 80 onwards, we're going to read a section of scripture. We're just going to read from Romans chapter 1 and a few verses from Romans chapter 1. This talks about the gospel. Just from, we're going to read from just a few verses here. Um, just verses 16 and 17. And uh, let's pray before we begin. Father, Lord in heaven, please bless those listening live. And uh, Father, we pray, O oh Lord, that you would please bless those who will listen later. And please guide us as we hear your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, haven't been checking the live. Hopefully everything's going well there. If you have... Any problems, please feel free to email me, radio at gmail.com. The funny thing is, I realize saying that, uh, if you have any problems, you probably won't hear that announcement, but I digress. Okay, so Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, let us hear God's word. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first, and also for the Greek 
For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. It is the power of God to salvation of everyone believes. So, it is the power of God, and this is why we are to think much of the gospel, and we're to make much of the gospel in our lives, and how we talk about it, and how we think about it. And um, we're going to be doing that, Lord willing, in this program, by God's grace, no matter who's in front of us. The most important thing in our lives is the gospel. The most important thing in our lives is God's message. The most important thing in our lives is who Christ is and how he sustains and strengthens us. Because, dear friends, that's exactly how we're going to get through the mess we're currently in and the mistakes that have been made since 2020. Looking unto Jesus, growing in him, understanding our role within the body, not looking for perfect people to be around who just agree with us, but being the best blessing you can be by God's grace to the people around you, wherever the Lord has placed you. Now, question 80 is what we're going to start with in the large catechism. Can true believers be infallibly assured that they are in the estate of grace and that they shall preserve therein until unto salvation? So, another way of saying that question is, can true believers know for sure that they will stay saved? And I always quote at these points when it seems to come up because it's such a good quote. It's from John MacArthur basically saying, if you could lose your salvation, you would. That would, I, I, I like that because it summarizes it pretty well. Can they be, can you be assured, can you know for certain that you will remain in the state of grace if you're a true believer and that you will persevere until the end, that you will prevail, that the enemy cannot put up strongholds against you that will prevent you from entering into your heavenly home. So that as you go along your journey through the wilderness of this life, as you travel away from spiritual Egypt and on the way to spiritual Canaan, as you travel towards the Jerusalem that is above, can you be assured you're going to arrive there? And you arriving there has everything to do with God and trusting him. That is the instrument. Your faith in him is the instrument of salvation. And that is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. So can they know for sure, can, can they lose their salvation? What does the catechism say? The larger catechism says, answer here, such as truly believe in Christ and endeavor to walk in all good conscience before him may without extraordinary revelation by faith grounded upon the truth of God's promises and by the spirit enabling them to discern in themselves those graces to which the promises of life are made and bearing witness with their spirits that they are the children of God, be infallibly assured that they are in the estate of grace and shall persevere 
therein unto salvation. So, all that to say, yes. Um, but we'll go through this answer bit by bit. Such as truly believe in Christ, if you're truly a believer. If you're not a truly believer, this promise is not to you. You may think you are a believer in Jesus Christ. You may go to church every week. You may have been raised in the church. You may have, you might even know this catechism off. But unless you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, this does not apply to you. Because if you have not trusted in Jesus Christ, you're still trusting in yourself. In some way, shape, or form, you're trusting in your own performance. And you won't make it. You will be one of those, spiritually speaking, who will die out in the wilderness. And because of unbelief, you will not enter. Actually, spiritually speaking, you've never left Egypt in the first place. You're still a slave to sin. You are still serving the cruel taskmaster. And you have not tasted of the freedom that is found in Jesus Christ. But if you have been set free in Jesus Christ, and you have tasted of your heavenly home to come, and it says, and endeavor to walk in all good conscience before him. If you endeavor to walk in a way that is consistent with your profession of faith, because otherwise, if you're not walking according to a good conscience, well, you can't be assured of anything. It says here, may, in, in the answer here for question 80, without extraordinary revelation, we don't need lights from the sky to come down and tell us anything extra beyond what the word of God has already revealed to us. It says, may without extraordinary revelation, we don't need a neon lights in the sky that says, I don't need it for myself, that says, you know, you know Paul Flynn is saved, in order to know that I am saved, that I will die and spend eternity in heaven with the Lord. And may, without extraordinary revelation, by faith, grounded upon the truth of God's promises. So by faith, and it's grounded upon, the foundation of all these things is the truth of God's promises. God's promises are true, and you believe those things. You have received them by faith. And by the Spirit enabling them to discern in themselves those graces to which the promises of life are made. So the Spirit, without the Spirit of God and the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit, enabling them to discern in themselves those graces. So the, the Spirit of God will help you to see that you have been a recipient of those graces to which the promises of life are made. That you have received those graces and bearing witness with their spirits that they are the children of God. The Spirit of God bearing witness with their spirit in agreement that you are a child of God. You belong to a world to come, not to this fallen 
evil age. B, it says, infallibly assured that they are in the estate of grace. Infallibly assured. And the assurance comes from the Spirit of God. The assurance comes from trusting and grounded. It's very, very careful how it's, how it's worded here. Grounded. Grounded, not in, our, in, not in our faith, which is weak and everything else, but it's grounded upon the truth of God's promises and what God says. So the Spirit, with their, so the Spirit of God bearing witness with their spirits that they are the children of God, being fallibly assured that they are in a state of grace, that you will know that you are a believer. You may have struggles with that. But you can, by the Spirit of God, be infallibly assured that they are in the state of grace and shall persevere unto salvation. And that's salvation removed away from the presence of sin. There is, we are saved if we're in Jesus Christ, but there's still a salvation to come where we're going to be delivered from this present evil world. We're going to be delivered from the temptations that we currently endure on a daily basis here in this world. Question 81, are all true believers in all times assured of their present being in the state of grace and that they shall be saved? Are all true believers at all times assured of their present being in the state of grace? So is everybody who's truly a Christian, do they know at all times that they are truly in a state of grace and that they shall be saved. What does it say here? Assurance of grace and salvation, not being of the essence, essence of grace. True believers may wait long, may wait long before they obtain it. So, knowing that you are saved. Okay, what is of the essence of faith is trust in Jesus Christ, but you may not have complete assurance of that. So assurance of grace and salvation. I always get nervous when I hear about people who pray a prayer and have infallible Assurance from day zero, right? This is something you grow in. You trust in Jesus Christ. And as you grow, you also grow in assurance. It says here, true believers may wait long before they obtain it. It may take some time. Um, I went through some struggles in the first year I was saved. Um, and there was massive change in my life. I can only imagine what it's like for somebody who grows up in the church and may not see that massive change because of the fact that they were not out in the world. This process of growing in assurance of faith isn't the same for everybody. It's the same in terms of, by God's grace, you will grow, but it may take some time to obtain it. And after, it says in the answer here, question 81, after the enjoyment thereof may have it weakened and intermittent. Through manifold distempers, sins, and temptations, and desertions. So basically, you, may, you cannot lose your salvation if you're a true believer. 
But dear friend, listen to me now. You can lose assurance. And if you backslide into sin, that is a surefire way of that happening. If you fall into grievous sin, if you fall into grievous sin, pornography, adultery, theft, whatever the case may be. See, we think as Christians, right, that there's certain sins we can't fall into. You know, there's just certain sins, it's not possible that we can ever fall into those sins. We can fall into all sorts of sins, even as believers. But it does not mean, I want you to hear me on this, it does not mean we'll remain in it. And if you fall into sin and you are completely comfortable with that and you're not utterly miserable, that is that is dangerous. That is dangerous territory right there. That is a seared conscience. But the true believer will be chastened, will be corrected. Because he belongs to God. And as a loving father does with his son, so will your heavenly father correct you should you fall into sin. But we shouldn't be seeking that. We should be seeking, by God's grace, to be faithful to him. So, through manifold distempers, sins and temptations and desertions, through various things, us drifting from him, us falling into sin, all sorts of things, we can have it weakened. So, if you struggle with, sal- with assurance of salvation, Is there an area in your life, is there some area of your life drawing you either back to your past sins or whatever the case may be? Is there something, there's just some thing that you need to cut out of your life and the Lord is taking assurance away from you? And dear friends, when you actually get rid of that thing, that sin, that temptation, whatever it is, it may be, this is just one example of among many, and I say may, this does not mean the television isn't inherently sinful or anything like that, but it may be a TV set in your house. It may be social media. Maybe a lot of different things. Cut off the porch to the house that is leading to that temptation. Cut it off at the root. Don't allow it to grow. Don't give it air to breathe. And you'll only wonder one thing. Why didn't you do it earlier? I remember when I was first saved, various things I struggled with initially as a new believer. And look, we all all have struggles. It's not like, the struggles end and you reach a certain point in your Christian walk where, hey, I know, oh, well, no more struggles now. Hey, and that's not, that's definitely not what I'm saying. And I hope it doesn't come across like that. But there were certain serious sins in the first year I was saved and, you know, you fall into them and you wonder, am I even a believer? And that caused doubt in my heart. Am I actually converted? Am I actually been changed? Or am I falling back into the old life? Or whatever the case may be. 
Um, it it was me basically needing to grow and spend more time alone with the Lord, quality time, not having devotions, say reading the Bible, praying, cut down. You know, like you know, sometimes you can get into a rot of okay, before you're reading your Bible, it was like before at one point you were reading for your Bible for an hour, thirty minutes, whatever, and now. 10 minutes, and when you read, you're distracted. And you're just not there. And that can be causing problems. And so if you are struggling, spend more time alone with the Lord. It's not all just negative stuff, cutting things out and things like that, but that's part of it. That's certainly part of it. Now, it says at the end of this, about assurance, yet are they never left without such a presence and support of the Spirit of God as keeps them from sinking into utter despair. They'll never get to a point where they're like, I'm not a believer at all, and they just sink into utter despair in God. There's always an element of the Spirit of God. It may be weakened. It may suffer. It may be a... a, 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 a a want of the presence of, you know, the feeling of the presence of God and things like that. However, we will be kept from sinking into utter, utter despair. So question 82. What is the communion and glory which the members of the invisible church have with Christ? So the communion glory which the members of the invisible church, those are those who are truly born again. The invisible church. Those who are in union with Christ, what communion glory do they have with Christ? The communion glory, it says here in the answer, which the members of the invisible church have with Christ, is in this life, immediately after death, and at, at last perfected at the resurrection and day of judgment. The communion and glory which the members of the invisible church have with Christ, it says here, is in this life immediately after death and at last perfected at the resurrection and day of judgment. That wonderful communion, that, that the joyous glory that is to come, occurs immediately after death, as soon as we die, as soon as we breathe our last breath, immediately after that. And at last, perfected, perfected at the resurrection and day of judgment. So, not only will we to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord, as Paul wrote to the Philippians, on even beyond that, our bodies, which will go into the ground, will be resurrected. How do we know this? Because Jesus Christ, in whom... We are who we have trusted in him has been resurrected. And it that is an infallible proof that we will be resurrected from the dead. And you say, well, how do I know this? Just go read First Corinthians chapter 15. We have dear friends, look, no matter what is going on in your life right now, no matter the difficulties, no matter the decisions, the horrible 
decisions of the government or whatever is going on and whatever the things that annoy us and and cause us to be discouraged, okay? We have so much to look forward to, but there's, a, there's one principal entity. He's powerful, he's mischievous, and uh, he doesn't want you to think about this. That's the devil. He doesn't want you to look forward to these things. So no matter what happens, no matter what decisions may be made, even in our churches, even if they're poor decisions, whatever the case may be, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, nothing can take this away from you. You have this to look forward to. I think people particularly struggle in January. I don't too much, although I think maybe because there's lack of light in January, I kind of understand why people feel a little bit down. But although, now, people who are in the Southern Hemisphere listening to this will probably be scratching their heads. You're in the middle of summer, so it's <laughs> it's not the same for you. Um, I do have one or two people who, uh, somebody listens from New Zealand. And um, that won't apply to you. And uh, your your blues is probably July. But we have so much to look forward to. Don't we? We forget it all the time. One of the reasons why I wanted to do the program I did last week, and then draw a line under it and move on, is because we have all this stuff to look forward to. This is what's going to unite us. This is the central thing that's going to unite us. This is a central thing that's going to get us through. I'm not against petitions, by the way. I'm not against protests at all. Um, that's part of our civic duty and all of that. But the most central thing we need to remind ourselves of who we are. We're Christians. Those who have placed their trust in Jesus Christ. And, and time and time again, we need to remind ourselves of the glorious, wonderful future. Because it's in that context that you take seriously when somebody's in front of you and you have a great opportunity to share the gospel. You know, thinking about earlier in the program we were talking about Elon Musk and Babylon B and all that kind of thing if our minds we got eternity stamped on our eyeballs we're not going to be thinking about making people laugh primarily nothing against having a laugh etc and so on. but not at the gospel the glorious gospel the reason we, we have all these things to look forward to. And that message presents why Jesus came to die. The one who created us. The one who sustains us. The one who came into the sin-cursed world to be mocked, ridiculed. The King of kings and the Lord of lords to be buffeted and to, to bear the wrath of his father. Him, his message is never ever to be in any spoken in any other way but with fear and trembling. 
because of the seriousness of it. It's not a joking matter. We would never poke fun or joke, at, say, the death of a loved one. At least I hope nobody would. You know, right after it happened. Well, here is the dearest loved one any Christian has. And he died for his bride. He suffered for his bride. And he lived. He lived for his bride. Every part of his life, even before the cross, was he was in a state of humiliation. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords enters into the sin cursed world, and he, he suffers being away from the glories and the, and the comforts of heaven. Relatively speaking, he departs from the glories and the comforts of heaven for you and I. So we, all as believers in Jesus Christ, handle and are to handle this message with utmost care. Now, look, if in the really unlikely chance that the guys in the Babylon will be here listening or whatever, I just hope that they will just say, you know, hold our hands up and say, you know what, we made a mistake. It was, it was silly. It was wrong. Then we will move on. Hopefully, they'll get another opportunity to talk to Elon. For the man, for the sake of the man's soul. Or anybody else. But, you know, I even kind of, I wonder in our own lives how many of us have missed opportunities that were just presented like that. Maybe not as clear as that, but and yet, didn't take it. Yet, we may may not have made a joke of the gospel itself, which we should never do. And if we ever do, we should, we should repent immediately. But we have perhaps made it deflected onto something else, or whatever the case may be. I dare say, many of us need to be thinking... Are we sharing the gospel as much as we should be? Often the answer is no. For many of us. Uh, question 83. What is the communion in glory which Christ, which the members of the invisible church enjoy in this life? So the communion glory which Christ, uh, with Christ, which the members of the invisible church enjoy in this life. The, the members of the invisible church, those are th truly born again. Answer, the members of the invisible church have communicated to them in this life the first fruits of glory with Christ, as they are members of him, their head. And so in him are interested in that glory which he is fully possessed of. And as in earnest thereof, enjoy the sense of God's love, peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Ghost, and hope of glory, as on the contrary, sense of God's revenging wrath, horror of conscience, and a fearful expectation of judgment are to the wicked the beginning of their torments, 
which they shall endure after death. Let's break down this answer here from the Westminster Larger Catechism, question 83. The members of the invisible church have communicated have communicated to them in this life the first fruits of glory with Christ. So let's just think about the first fruits of the glory of Christ. We already have a taste of the fullness. We have a a small fraction of the fullness to come. It says, as they are members of him, their head, and uh, and you'll experience this more and more as you grow in grace. And so in him are interested in that glory which he is fully possessed of. That glory. And so we treat the gospel, so we treat Christ of utmost respect because it's his glory we are seeking and pursuing. And it says, as an earnest thereof, enjoy the sense of God's love. We enjoy a sense and we grow in a sense of our God's love for his people. We learn more of the gospel and we learn more of God's love for his people. We learn of how God the Father loves his son. We learn also in that, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He delights in his son. He delights in his people. And if he delights in his people, he will delight to welcome them in to heavenly glory once they have left this earth. The more we know about this, the more we grow in assurance. The more we are interested in the glories of Christ, the more we will be jealous of defending it and proclaiming it and letting other people know about it. But it's very important that we are aware of God's love. It should soften our hearts and it should make us more loving. The worst thing is if we are, we're ticking all the orthodox boxes, we're ticking all the theologically orthodox boxes. We are, we are great at studying. We're great at learning all the systematic theologies, but we lack grace. Anybody disagrees with us? Whoa, they're in trouble. And you're probably saying, Paul, are you not guilty of this too? Probably. Probably. What else comes from this? Peace of conscience, it says. Nothing worse than a tormented conscience. Peace, um, joy in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, and hope of glory. And hope is not some wishful thinking. Hope is expectation you expect something to happen the hope of glory you expect it to come so if we if we're like oh i think it'll happen i'm cool if it happened no that's not what a hope of glory is the hope of glory is you're expecting it to come you're expecting jesus christ to return and to renew this earth to bring in a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells, where there's no sin, where there is perfect righteousness, where there's perfect peace, where there's perfect love, where we will see him as he is and we will be like him in holiness. 
we expect that an expectation because often in english we use it in a very different way to that you know it's like will it will it be raining today well i hope so it's kind of like wishful thinking thinking usually isn't it I expect an expectation, that kind of hope. And by the way, believers in Jesus Christ, we should be the most hopeful people because we have the greatest hope. It says in this in in answer eighty three, as on the contrary, sense of God's revenge, revenging wrath, horror. So, as on the contrary, so. Those who have not been recipients, on the contrary, sense of God's revenging wrath, horror of conscience, and a fearful expectation of judgments are to the wicked the beginning of their torments, which they shall endure after death. And aren't we seeing that so much today? You know, I'll, you know, I, last week was hopefully the last I'll try and talk about, you know, the virus or whatever. But you see the fear of death everywhere and it's impossible not to notice it and sense it and see it. People are are scared for themselves a lot of the time. I was... Sometimes I watch football interviews with managers and one of the managers this is in the Premier League and... One of the managers talked about, this is a few weeks ago, how one of the players, this is a young, fit, healthy person in their 20s, speaking about one of those players, that they're afraid to get out of the car, to go to training and all this kind of stuff. And there's just this dread. And you probably say, well, they shouldn't be. This is whatever. Look, there's a sense in which, right? The unbeliever in Jesus, the person who, sorry, the, the person who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ, the person who has not placed their faith in Jesus Christ, the person who's outside of the grace of God, has every good, sensible reason to be terrified of death. Because they know what's coming at the end of it. There's a sense they know because they've been created in the image of God, but they hold the truth and unrighteousness. They, they're, they're fighting against that. But there's a sense of doom and dread. Why? Because of the way we've been created. There's a sense in which... The world is acting according to its conscience, a, a conscience that is fighting against this inevitability of dying. All of us will die. All of us will stand before God. And the question is, will we stand before God clothed in Christ's righteousness or will we stand before God naked in our own righteousnesses, which are nothing but filthy rags? They're, they're the two possibilities. And that's why there's a, 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 a terror. That's why there's a horror. There's a fearful expectation. There's, uh, uh, you know, that, that word expectation of judgment because it has been written in their conscience. They know they've broken God's law. Deep down, they know they've broken God's law. Are to the wicked the beginning of their torments, which is shall endure after death. It's only going to get worse. Whatever torments the person who has got a, got a conscience racked with guilt this side of eternity is going to get worse in hell 
Yes, there's the torments that they will endure that we can't even wrap our heads around. That we should be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But part of that torment is fear. Horror of the conscience. Horror of the things that they've done. They won't be able to escape it anymore. Have you ever felt so guilty that it just disturbs your conscience so much, may even prevent you from sleeping? Well, imagine that to the nth degree. And that is part of the torments. It's not all their torments. It, It is part of the torment of the wrath of God. They'll no longer be able to pretend anymore. They'll no longer be pretending for and they will have no excuse. They don't they don't have an excuse here in this side of eternity. But they'll no longer be able to act as if they don't know. As if they haven't been told. Question 84. Question 84. We're going to go for another 10 minutes on this program. 84. Shall all men die? Shall all men die? This is like something that perhaps we've forgotten over the last, well, nearly two years. Death being threatened as the wages of sin, it is appointed unto all men once to die, for that all have sinned. The reason there's death around us is because of sin. And the problem is, we're always dealing with the symptoms rather than the root cause of the problem. Unless we're primarily dealing with sin and righteousness. The most important thing, the the most important need, the, the most important health need in our nation is spiritual. The healing balm must never be cut off and not be able to be accessed ever again. All men will die. Every single last one of them. People worry whether this will happen to them or that will happen to them or you're going to die. If you're listening to this, you're going to die. You're going to die once. Then there's a judgment. There's there's death being... Now, you're all going to die, but the Christian has been delivered from eternal death. But if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ and you haven't repented of your sins, you will face eternal death. The wrath of God abides on you right now. Your conscience is troubled because of this. You suppress it. You can't have that blessed peace unless you are in Christ Jesus. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It is why there is death, destruction, why there is war, why there is pain, why there are tears, why there is cancer, why there is all sorts of things. It is a result of sin. It is a, it is a consequence of the fall. It is appointed unto man once 
to die. And then, the judgment, no escaping it. There's no escaping. Doesn't matter what health measures you make. You, you see the fear in the media. They're, they're utterly terrified. And again, I say this, you have every good reason to be terrified if you're not a Christian. You have no reason to be terrified. None whatsoever. If you're a Christian, you will be brought to your heavenly home. Fear not him who may kill your body. Fear not the illness or sickness that may end your life. Fear him who can cast both body and soul into hell. That's who you're supposed to fear. That's who we're meant to fear. Right now we're fearing tiny things and not the great and powerful God who's in control of all these things. We've ignored him. We have spat upon his face. We've not sought him. We've barely sought him in the church in the last two years. And we have not humbled ourselves. We have not listened to the voice of providence over the last two. We've simply not listened. And dear friends, I fear we may have to endure more lessons to really begin to listen and really begin to think, uh, what is God calling us to do? Where do we need to repent? In our nations, here in the British Isles, in the island of Ireland, so I'm going to include all of the island of Ireland, the island of Ireland is made up of two countries, really, Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. And England, Scotland, Wales. Back when, in 1643, when they signed the Solemn League and Covenant, they were three nations. If you read that document, it was, it was Ireland, Scotland, and England. And Wales was still classified as part of England under that covenant. We swore as nations, and I say nations, to support and uphold true religion and to recognize Christ as the head of church and state. We have broken that covenant and we have reaped the rewards or the, the, the judgments of that broken covenant. Things where every nation is bound to anyway. But we face more severe judgment because of our willful blindness and a rejection of that covenant sworn in 6043. Question 85. Death being the wages of sin, why are not the righteous delivered from death seeing all their sins are forgiven in Christ. You might have that question when I was going through that. Why, well, if we're forgiven, why is there any death at all? 
It says in the answer here, the righteous shall be delivered from death itself at the last day, and even in death are delivered from the sting and curse of it, so that although they die, yet it is out of God's love to free them perfectly from sin and misery and to make them capable of further communion with Christ in glory, which they then enter upon. So there'll be complete freedom from this enemy death at the last day. And in death are delivered from the curse of the sting of it. We are freed in death. We are set free. And yet is this all all things work together for good to them that love God. There is going to be glorification in the future. To free them perfectly from sin and misery. There is a purpose for all the things you face. There's no it, it's not that there's a bad reason. You know, this thing we scratch our heads and we may complain against God, but God has good, righteous, and holy reasons for all the things we don't understand. There's plenty of them. There's plenty of things we don't understand. There's plenty of things we may grumble about, and etc. and so on. God has a right reasons, righteous reasons, and we need to learn about them as revealed in his word. I think... Um, yeah, we're going to do this last question. Question 86, and then we'll wrap it up there. What is the communion in glory with Christ, which the members of the invisible church enjoy immediately after death? Or to put this question 86 from the Westminster Larger Catechism in another way. You, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, and you have been made a new creature in Christ Jesus, what do you have to look forward to after death? Immediately after you die, immediately after your heart stops beating, once you leave this earth, what do you have to look forward to? What, what is going to be enjoyed? And it says here, the communion in glory with Christ, which the members of the invisible joy Im enjoy immediately after death. There's no intermediate point or anything like that it's immediately after death, is in that their souls are then made perfect in holiness. You're struggling with that sin right now. You won't after death. You'll be freed from that. It's not going to be wonderful. And you may have lost a loved one who's a Christian. Would they come back if they could? Not at all. Rejoice if they're a believer in Jesus Christ and, and they died in faith, well, rejoice because of where they are and thank the Lord for his goodness. Their souls are then made perfect in holiness and received into the highest heavens where they behold the face of God in light and glory. Those loved ones you have lost over recent times or whatever the case may be in Christ are they're currently beholding the face of God in light and glory. And we cannot wrap our heads around how wonderful that will be when we get to do that. Do you love God now? Well, you're going to love him far more because we're going to be made perfect in holiness. 
what's holding us back from loving us, loving him more is us. But he's going to change us to be like him in, in perfect holiness. It says, waiting for the full redemption of their bodies. That'll come. There's even more. There's more to look. How much is there to look forward to for the believer? So much. So much. Waiting for the full redemption of their bodies, which even in death, continue united to Christ. And rest in their graves as in their beds. Till at the, the last day they be again united to their souls. So we have the resurrection from the dead to look forward to. Whereas the souls, it says, of the wicked are at their death cast into hell. So we have that joyful reality of what we have to look forward to. But we have this thing that, this horrible reality, this horrible eternity for everyone else, the wicked. People who don't deserve it. This is people who deserve it. By the way, that includes us, but we've been recipients of grace. Whereas the souls of the wicked are at their death cast into hell. Perfect justice. And this is why it is so important that we witness. That we share the truth. Where they remain in torments, it says, and utter darkness, and their bodies kept in their graves, as in their prisons, till the resurrection and judgment of the la of the great day. And then, this is not in the answer here, but then they'll be cast into the lake of fire. It's hard even to read it. It's hard even to think about it. But hell is the wrath of God. Hell is the judgment of God. Hell is what we all deserve. And to see, the thing is, we are astonished at it because we don't see how holy God is and we don't, dear friends, see how wretched we are. If you don't see that you're, you deserve wrath, you're not a Christian. If you don't say, that is me, I deserve that, I, I am no better. I do not deserve the least of God's mercies. You're not a believer in Jesus Christ. But if you do see that you, you deserve this, then there's hope for you, dear friend. Trust in Jesus Christ. He has lived that perfect life that you are failing currently to live. He has finished the race. And if you trust in him, he will bring you home to heaven. So Paul Flynn, talk to you again soon.